0: Welcome to the AvGeeks Assemble podcast. to episode 6 of season 3 of the Avgigs Assemble podcast. My name's Rob and we're back this week with another dose of excellent content for your listening pleasure. Firstly, thanks to everyone who's interacted with us over the last podcast. It's been great seeing some of your pictures up on our Facebook page, so please keep sharing them and we're glad you was able to get something out of it. At the time of recording we've made it through the 973 days of january so we've reached that point in the year where the air shows have started to make some more of their announcements obviously cywell got out of the blocks really quickly last year but apart from React's announcement of the canadian hornet we didn't get much else well that has all changed and as i look at my list of announcements i think it's safe to say that all the major air shows have had at least one announcement since our last podcast So let's start with Cywell, who appear to have slowed their onslaught slightly, um, but they have announced yet another Bouchon to go to the list, and another Mustang, which is the recently acquired one that came from Australia. So that is in its new paint scheme, so that'll be a nice one to see at the show. And they've also announced a Douglas R4D, ready for duty on the static. That's a great-looking plane, and it's incredibly rare over here, so that's one I'm really looking forward to seeing. IWM Duxford have confirmed more of the flying balls. They're now hosting the P-38, the DC-6, and the B-25. And they've also added Team Raven, the Pitt Special, and the Wingwalkers, amongst others, to the display. But the big scout for them is the announcement of the F 86 Sabre, which was due to fly at the Midlands Air Festival anyway, but it looks like it's going to be making its way over to Duxford, which is a great thing to see in the air. It's, it's nice to see classic jets being allowed to fly at inland air shows again. So maybe it's an indication there's some softening of the rules from the CAA. Don't know, but hopefully we'll be able to see more of those in future if this is a new precedent that's being set. Let's not forget the D-Day squadron that's going to be there all weekend which they've confirmed is now going to have a mass flyer past on the Sunday but also a parachute drop on the Saturday which is something they were planning to do in 2019 for the Dax over Duxford but obviously due to the weather they couldn't. So hopefully fingers crossed for the weather and that's something we'll get to witness this time around. RAF Cosford have finally entered the chat announcing the Gazelle squadron the other week and just this week Sally B. They may not be the massive announcements we're hoping for but two very good displays to have in that show so do go and check them out. And finally, half the press, RIA started up their weekly announcements again, announcing today that the Spaniards are returning to the flying display with their Harriers, and also the Finns are bringing another F-18 to the static, and also the interesting different de Havilland Twin Otter from the British Antarctic Survey will also be on static. An interesting plane if you haven't seen it, and definitely worth checking out that's the announcements out the way it's definitely shaping up to look like a good air show season so head on over to the group and let us know what you think let us know what you're getting excited for Um, i'm sure there's stuff that's already been announced that you're really excited for so you know it can only get better from here on out so let's move on to the main content of this podcast it's something you guys have asked us about continuously and we constantly get asked by people and it's very much what is in our bags so i sat down with tim Ant, and we decided to go through what we've got in our bags for 2024, talking about our cameras, the bags themselves, lenses, and any additional peripherals that we might have that we find useful for our spotting. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and let's get into it. This week, I'm joined by Ant and Tim. Guys, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Very well. I am Bandabidozy. dozy Good. Perfect stuff. Um, So yeah, the content of this podcast, comes back to another request from uh, some of the listeners and uh, contributors on our Facebook page. Um, They have been asking us to sort of go through um, kind of our gear that we use, um, almost like a a kind of what's in our bag sort of thing. Um, We are talking internally about doing some more sort of detailed one-to-one pods about um, us and what we shoot, why we shoot it, you know, that that sort of thing. Uh, but for this one, I thought we would stick it to a very kind of straight and simple uh, what's in our bag for 2024. Um, so, yeah, we're going to sort of run through what we've got. I mean, I would, would say now take it with a pinch of salt um, because guaranteed we will say we're totally happy with our gear and by the time we get to the next podcast we'll have brought something else um (laughs) so take what we've got as what we intend to do what we intend to be in our bag for 2024 and uh if ant buys a new camera next week uh sarah it's not our fault Um, yes
1: no one will be surprised by
0: that (laughs) yeah so yeah so let's uh sort of into it. i mean who wants to go first who wants to Tell the listeners what they have in their bag. I, think, I suppose we should probably start with what the actual bag is. Um, yeah, I don't. I I don't mind starting.
1: I mean, as soon as I'm being pointed at furiously through the screen, <laughs> I assume that was at me. So I might as well carry on. Uh, yeah, um, my bag. Uh, if, we want, if we're going that deep, my bag is a a a Vanguard. It is blue in color it is a vo47m and it has a roll top which is very useful uh, it has two front compartments a large rear opening section where i can get in and easily access my uh, camera gear but no yeah I, I actually quite like it i i found it on ebay um well, probably about 18 months two years ago now got it for like less than 20 quid bargain. Um, considering I think they're about seventy quid new or something like that. It was
2: the coup of the it was the coup of the century <laughs> that you got it. Um you were just I, 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 so, I, I you were so thrilled with
1: it. Yeah, I was I was well chuffed. And to be fair, it's been a good bag. It has been a good bag. It's um it's got it's even got side access, so if you've got your camera in the right compartment you can quickly access it. So yeah, no, it's been good. It's been good. And the roll tap's really good for when I go low level spotting. because um, I can fit in um like Extra like waterproof layers, maybe hat, scarf, gloves, that sort of stuff, or maybe like uh, my little jet boil thing for like taking hot drinks up there and things. So,
0: yeah, it's always good to have that expandable sort of section in there. But no, it's good. So yeah, Tim. So uh, what bag are you um, packing?
2: Well, it's more <laughs> of a bags. I'm a bit of a Ooh. bit of a gear whore. Um, <laughs> so I've got the low pro Photoactive. 300 um it's my sort of lightweight bag i suppose um i've taken that on planes as a carry-on for when i go overseas um sound like a jet set i've been to poland twice <laughs> and i've taken it to poland twice um for when i've got on plane spot and over there but it fits in the it fits in the the generic cradle thing you know carry on um it's lightweight and it surprisingly holds so much stuff. Um, I've also got the Low Pro um, Pro Tactic 450 but the Mark 1 there's a Mark 2 version out now which has got more bells and whistles hanging off it and um, a better hard top cover. If you know the, the layout of that bag it's got a, 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 like a hard shell top um, on the bag. It's got a better design on that and and i think better side pockets in the top but um again both of those bags have got side access so if push comes to shove if i need to get into the bag quite quickly i can literally just sort of like drop it off my shoulder unzip a, a zip um and get into the compartment um but those are my two sort of go-to bags really cool yeah i mean i'm like you i'm
0: a bit of a gear whore. i mean i'm one of those people that i have to have multiple options for multiple different uses and i have to have redundancies because i just i'm if if something's going to happen or a bag's going to break on me it's going to be me so i have to have a uh, a backup but the the one i'm using mostly for air shows is the think tank streetwalker hard drive version 2. it's like it's so big it's it's I mean, it says that it's a bit it of a TARDIS, is, isn't it? It is a bit of a TARDIS. I mean, the amount of stuff I could fit in there is unreal. But um, it's meant to fit in the overhead locker on a Ryanair flight. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to take anything else. But if I wanted to go to a European air show, I could fit all my gear in there, carry it with me, and I'd just have to wear the same pair of pants. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is—it's a current, its a very big sort of sturdy bag, and it, arguably it's too big, to be fair. Um, but it's got really good chunky. Um, straps, which I think is ideal when you're carrying lots of gear around, but it's got um plenty of space in there for um multiple bodies, multiple lenses. I mean it I can pack in there um like my cameras, my lenses, all of my um additional odds and sods that I need for um air shows, like serial bars I can fit in there and that sort of, it, it's just got so much space. The only downside of it is that it's front opening, which means I have to put it back down on the uh, grass, and if yeah. it's wet grass, it means I get a wet back, which is quite annoying. But it's, um, but yeah, it's a big, big sturdy bag. Um, yeah, I mean,
2: I, I, the, I have to admit, the, the ProTactic Four Hundred and Fifty, I think, is my, is my preferred bag because it gives me more options to have. I'm, I'm one of these people that I would rather take it with me and not need it. Yeah. and need it and not have it with me and the pro tactic gives me that all day long yeah. um uh, i saw alex wood with it like a couple of years ago yeah it's a couple of years ago now um and I, we were at milton hall and i just sort of said to him what bag is that because it, it just kind of ticked everything that i was looking at like looking for in a bag and he said oh it's a you know low pro ProTactic." Blah 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 And i didn't really pay it much mind after that it was just like that's pretty Gucci, that's that's kind of nice, I like that. And then my existing bag at the time, the zip broke on it, and I was like, okay, I need a new bag. I had a quick scoofy sk- around on Google, and I was like, mm, I don't really want to pay that outright for a bag. So I didn't. I went on, I think I got it off Facebook Marketplace. It was someone in Norwich was selling it for like 40 quid. Um, The retail on it is... Probably four times that, nearly five times that. Um, so I kind of jumped on it and it needed a bit of a hoover out and a bit of a clean. Yeah. Um, but the but all the zips are intact. They are all solid. It's a solid bag. I took it round the show that will not be named in July. I took it around that. Um, it carried everything I needed. Um, took it, I've taken it up the loop. Um, it got absolutely soaked, even like with me forgetting, oh, it's got a built-in water cover, you know, rain cover. Um, the next day when showers were coming over, i remembered to put the cover on and everything was was dry. But the 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 pro Tactic goes down on the on the front and the back opens. So you the the back of the bag is dry because if you're gonna put it down, you're gonna put it down on wet grass and the front of it is gonna be wet. But um yeah, it's it's made of cordura um it's got the molly straps all over it so you can then add more pouches bolt or not bolt but you can strap things to the outside to your heart's content if that's what floats your boat um but like ant said you know it it gives me the option that when we went up to the loop i was sort of like playing about with right what do i need to take i need to take a camera a lens some batteries some food something to heat water up with i need to take water you know waterproofs and I was just chucking it all at the bag and it was just eating it all up <laughs> it was just like right more 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 yep. um, it's just a very well designed very well thought out bag I think um, and you see a lot of them about it wasn't until sort of like air show season you sort of like walking around and I I just sort of, I I realised I was counting them <laughs> at an air show I was, I was counting bags I was just like, yeah twat um
1: yeah. <laughs> um they are they are i mean they're a popular bag I've seen
2: loads of them like, out got, about, and... I'd, I'd I'd say it's kind of it kind of goes hand in well, not hand in hand, but where with the sigma one fifty six hundred lens, you could almost yeah. take the low pro protactic range, not maybe the yeah. four fifty the three fifty um you know slightly smaller version, but equally just eats stuff up but yeah those, yeah those those are the bags that i have um and i would definitely recommend them i mean this is going to come across as that this is like i mean this
0: is very much a comment from men of our age is that the right bag is as important to an air show as the gear you've got any i think i think if you i mean or anywhere if i mean if you're gonna climb up to cad west or bulk or whatever you've got to have a backpack which is comfortable and distributes the weight properly so if you've got a, a bag that's got sort of flimsy straps and you're carrying weight in it, it's going to cut into you like anything, and it's just yeah. not going to be comfortable. And it's like you've got it's got to support. Before
2: we it. went to the loop last year in May, I actually took the there's a um, like a generic sort of like waistband on the ProTactic bag. And I looked at it and I realized um, I do a lot of sort of like overnight camping, sort of wild camping and stuff like that. And I looked at one of the bags that I take for that and I realized the hip pad of that rucksack would fit on the, the pro tactic. I added that and it had a like a padded hip belt type thing. So going up the the hills or as I call them in Suffolk mountains in um, Wales, you know, um it it like you say it distributed the weight perfectly. Um the bag was set up, the straps were adjusted, everything was on my hips and it was just supported by my shoulders and off I went. You know, it wasn't like, oh my God, I've got a fucking rhino on my back. You know, Um yeah, it's it's well thought out.
0: Yeah, wonderful.
2: And that's it. For bag <laughs> Tune in
0: next week.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tune in next week where we talk about bum bags and fanny packs. <laughs> so, yeah, so obviously that's our bag. We've got that. We we know we're going to have a nice, comfortable walk around with our backpack. You know what we're going to put in that. You know the most key thing is going to be our cameras. So let's start with our cameras. I'll start because I'm the odd <laughs> one out. I go with um, my Nikon D500 is my main camera, um, and then I've got a pair of D7200s, which are my redundancy and my redundancy redundancy. <laughs> so if <laughs> <laughs> so i only i, I will only travel well i say i will only travel with um for example if we go to the air show that shall not be named show in july i will take all three cameras with me but only two will come on site with me and th- there's a practical reason at this for that. point i'm it's now going to well.
2: start googling shipping containers with the amount of gear you're taking <laughs>
0: <laughs> no wonder you've got a tardis in
1: a bag you've probably
2: yeah.
0: lost four cameras in it i brought a car purely for my camera again i've got no children but i've got a suv That's... yeah so it's um i mean for me it's a it's, it's two practical reasons it's um i mean the d500 is great for air to air stuff um but it is heavy and it is bulky and i like to have two cameras on hand because with my 200 to 500, there is a relatively limited range, which is great for getting in and getting close. But if I'm trying to shoot the red arrows, I'm not gonna get that in on a 200 to 500. It's just, it's not gonna happen on a crop sensor. Um, so I like to have a secondary body, which I can then put another lens on, which I can use for for display teams, formation teams, and, and stuff like that. And I think there's also an element as I learned the hard way if you are constantly changing lenses in hot and dusty air shows, your sensor is going to become a mess. And as good as technology is and as good as Lightroom is, it is a ball ache to get dust spots off. So I, I do to try and minimize the amount of um, dust I get into my lens. and just start, So I don't have to, I'll, I'll normally go, right, D500 has got my 200 to 500 on. The other one will probably have a, wider lens so probably the 24 to 120 will be on there um and then it will be those two lenses that i'll use for the entire day because it's just that nice uh, it, it means i don't have to faff around with lenses and a faff around with lens is just a pain in the backside quite frankly oh it really is and the more you can minimize it the better
1: yeah totally agree i, I mean if, if anyone takes anything away from this podcast it's like to minimize faffing about changing lenses as often as possible is probably the best advice you could give anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally agree.
0: And on a sort of the thing of redundancy, so I'm a bit like Tim. I always want to have something there in case something happens. So, I mean, I was shooting my D7200 air shows for years before I got my D500. So, I know if my D500 stops for whatever reason, I can quickly flip to my D7200. And I'm still going to get the shots. I mean, I yeah. experienced uh, last year, it was a Shuttleworth show. One of my lenses decided to fail, completely fail on me. Um, it was a 200 to 500. So it was like, great. That's not very handy. But I because I have a redundancy, I had a 70 to 300 in my bag, quickly whipped that out, whacked that on, and was able to still continue shooting the air show. Luckily, at yeah. Shuttleworth, you can get away with a 70 to 300. Um but yeah, it's always I always try and have even if my redundancy doesn't necessarily do the same job, it would do a job. Yeah. Um that's fair. So yeah. So that's my my cameras. So and what are you going with?
1: Yeah, um very much the opposite direction. <laughs> Both in brand and philosophy. Um I'm I'm canon. Um as probably most people know, listening to this podcast uh, for any amount of time, I have the R seven, which I'm very happy with um i was up until late last year rocking it with the sigma 150 to 600 and the canon ef 300mm f4 prime i have become a prime only shooter as my primary sort of lens for shooting aircraft in the air low level air shows bases um and yeah i got rid of the sigma um and so far i don't regret it um, it's changed the way I shoot aircraft. Um, rather than trying to zoom in to 600 mil and get as many shots as possible of the aircraft as it like enters my field of view and then zoom back out to 150 as it passes me and then zoom back into 600 as it disappears into the sunset um, and end up with 4,000 photos of one one pass, mm. I now just wait for it to arrive in, a, 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 in a, a reasonable size in my frame. Then I start shooting it, shoot it as it passes me and then shoot it until it disappears out of a reasonable size in my frame. And that has helped my workflow no end. Um, I'm now coming home with um, probably a couple of thousand shots rather than 10,000 shots. Mm. Um, and I'm just enjoying not having to faff about with change in focal lengths um i think modern mir- mirrorless cameras are amazing bits of kit uh, the r7 is is capable of capturing some absolutely amazing photos um but when you're constantly faffing about with the inputs that are going into that camera especially what focal lengths you're at which means the camera's then working harder to compute what it needs to do what fo- what what shutter speed it needs to be at what ISO it needs to be at like refocusing on the target that it's already trying to track whilst you're zooming in and out. Um, it's just one less thing to worry about for both me and the camera and yeah. a lot less work in 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 post. So yeah, that's, that's me. I have one camera, one lens. Um, I have got my 24 to 105, which I mentioned on the previous pod um, that I use for like museums and statics and things like that. Great lens, not the L series, just the, the bug standard kit lens. And if anyone's looking to try and get a 24 to 105 on Canon, you don't need anything more than the kit lens because it is more than sharp enough. Mm. Um, don't go wasting your money on the L series. Um, yeah, it's um, it's, a, it's a compact kit. And I think I've worked over the last couple of years to reduce the amount of kit that I've got, especially because my, my First and foremost, I love to get low-level spotting. Um, so if the lenses I'm carrying with me are minimized, then I've got more room for things like snacks, food, lunch, hot mm-hmm. drinks, like little uh, Toilet jet roll. oil type thing. Toilet roll, yeah, every yeah, now and again. Yeah, yeah. Um, only when I've got a cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah i just yeah i i i'm quite happy with the kit that I've got at the moment. I know that means that next week I'll go out and buy another camera and another lens and start go again six
2: hundred
1: i i i genuinely want to i genuinely want to stick with that kit now for the next um twelve to eighteen months and just get the the most out of that kit what I can do especially with all the warbird shows coming up this this summer and uh, hopefully a lot of low level trips this year. Um, yeah, it should, it should be good. It should be good. Um, the only thing, the only thing that I would consider adding to my kit as it stands, I know I'm probably lurching into the next subject is what, what we want to possibly add to our kit, but a 1.4 extender, um, to go with the 300, just, just to give me a little bit of flexibility there, especially mm. at warbird shows like ducks where you're a thousand miles from the runway. Um, that would that would be it. But no, I want Other than that, I want to stick with what I've got. Yeah.
2: And
0: um, so, yeah, Tim, what are you rocking this year?
2: Um, so, I'm also rocking the Canon R7, which is the mirrorless body. I'm pretty sure Ants just covered everything about the R7 that we need to talk about. Um, I've got the when I ordered the R7, I got the 18 to 150 lens with it. Um, at the time I ordered it, I also had the Sigma 150 600 Contemporary. The only thing I I personally found with that, and some people would agree, some people won't agree, what I found with that is at 600, the shots felt woolly. It's the only way I can describe mm-hmm. them. I like, tried my best with everything, yes. but at 600, they were woolly. And I was getting increasingly frustrated that past 500 um, shots weren't, you know, up to 500, they were pin sharp, and then they'd just start to go off off the scale completely and i thought What's the
1: point? For, any, for anyone listening i am nodding furiously <laughs> in agreement
2: <laughs> i got really despondent um i'm not gonna say alcohol was involved but i ended up ordering the canon rf 100 to 500 which was a huge um investment gamble um whatever word you want to throw at it it was for me it was huge i've Never spent that sort of money on photographic gear in my life. I don't think I ever will again. Um, that being said, um, that lens has barely moved off the Canon R7. Um, I had the 300 um, prime f4, the same as Ant had. I had, I have the 70 to 200 2.8 um lens, and neither of them have even. Got a glimpse of going back on the camera since I had the 100-500. It's a phenomenal lens. It's pin sharp from 100 to 500. The only problem with that is you have to rely on the Cabbage interface holding the camera itself um to get everything right. The, the The gear itself is ready to just absolutely nail everything. It's waiting for the biological, um the, the squidgy squid bit to, to catch up and Behind realize the, the, the potential finder. of what it's holding. <laughs> Um, but um, every now and again, the moons align, and um, you know the, everything happens, and you go, "Jesus, that's fucking awesome." Um, sorry, I'm swearing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've got the one hundred, five hundred. Um, I was—I don't want to say I was coerced. I wasn't coerced. Um, I was reliably informed from Alex Roebuck, um, Paul Easton, a number of other uh, Tina Fitch. Uh, you know. Uh, people who i see at the fence and i don't want to say i trust their judgment that's uh that's not it but i when i can see the results that they're getting and i go yeah you're onto something there um and it wasn't a spur of the moment thing i mean i, I thought about the lens for sort of like three or four months and then just went do you know what sod it <laughs> um and so yeah that that came um and it's barely barely moved off off of the body um the only thing i would say is i do miss that sort of like extra reach that the 600 gives you i don't miss the frustration of the shots being woolly so the only thing i am mm. considering is possibly getting the 1.4 extender um but the 1.4 rf extender which i'd need on the R7 um if you pair that with the 100-500 you can only really use the extender at 300 mils and further out purely because of how the lens is designed it's that twist telephoto design so the when the lens moves out it creates the space enough for the teleconverter to fit and that's that's my that's my only sort of like hindrance or not hindrance that's my only sort of like cause for concern on ordering one and sort of thinking do i gain enough it's a lot of money it's a lot spend. of money to spend for not a lot more reach yeah. you factoring if you're factoring crop factor on the camera itself you kind of go just yeah. do better <laughs> i think that
1: like if you're going to spend that like, i think they retail like 500 yeah. quid don't they 450 yeah. 500 quid for the 1.4 rf which a lot of money for it what is. it is and the <laughs> If, if you're going to spend that you want it to work on the whole zoom exactly. range like you want to be you want to be shooting from like 140 to uh what's it going to be yeah, 700 exactly. isn't it um not not just be restricted to only use it at the, the top that's, end of that yeah and that's that that's, range. that's
2: that's that's why at the time of recording this mm-hmm. i haven't been, you know i haven't ordered one i and i'll be honest i probably won't um you know the, the yeah i mean i i watch um What's his name? Dwayne Payton, Dwayne Patton. Dwayne Payton on YouTube. I've, yes. You know, I don't want to say I religiously follow him. I trust his uh, recommendations. His reviews are really clear, really concise. There's no BS about it. His gear talks and stuff are on point. And you know, the results he got using the teleconverter, he does a lot of wildlife, you know, bird photography, were great. But when he said, you know, oh, you can only use this on the 100-500 past 300 mil, I was a bit like, a bit pointless. You know, yeah. fair enough yeah. if you're taking a picture of a budgie at sort of like 600 metres away, yeah, you need, a, you need that 1.4. <laughs> but for a, a lumbering six-tonne grey jet going whoosh, you know, I probably don't. So uh, yeah. Deep down, I think I've decided to you know, no, don't need to spend that money. Just need to spend the time getting better. And that's, that's it. It, 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 it. It will push me to get better rather than just, rather than throw money at it and try and fix it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with um, what you said about the Sigma One Fifty Six Hundred. The 600N was, I think woolly is the best word, word to describe it. I don't think I ever got a sharp shot, a sharp enough shot that I was yeah. happy with. At the 600 end of that range. The, the but,
2: caveat to that I, is I, when I was at that summer show in July, um, <laughs> I was zoomed out at 500 mil, um, and the two Dutch Chinooks took off from east. Yeah, and it's probably one of the one of the shots I'm happiest with of the whole week is I've got this sort of like stacked Dutch Chinook shot zoomed out five hundred mil and I managed to get it like nicely sharp, you know, and I was just like, yeah. wow, that's a nice shot. It was at five hundred yeah. if I'd have zoomed I I personally think if I'd have taken it on the Sigma at six hundred, I'd have probably come away and gone, oh, that's a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no I know t- I, t- I, t- I totally agree. But on the on the flip side, I don't agree with missing that 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 reach because I find personally that the vast majority of shots that I end up selecting as keepers, ones that are satisfactorily sharp, in focus, good composition, are the ones that are closest to my camera. So within sort of one to 300 mil.
2: Lately, I've started to realise you're right, you know, The telephoto lens, while you're, you know, while that plane's coming towards you or that plane's going out away from you, you're you're twisting that lens or you're pulling that lens, and you're you're constantly changing the focal length, and the camera is having to sort of like catch up. Okay, what are you doing? You know, do you want to take this picture or not? You know, Um, just just stick to a focal length. Man, (laughs) um, Wednesday last week, I was at Coningsby, and I actually locked the one hundred five hundred on about two seventy five, I think it was. Um for some um, yeah, there was sort of like they were doing some sort of like touch and goes. And I just locked the lens at sort of like 275, 300 or something like up circa that. So I wasn't constantly sort of like playing the trombone. you know what I mean? Like just constantly like twisting the lens and the lens the cameras trying to catch up and and pretty much every shot was bang on in focus because the camera wasn't sort of like playing catch up it could it could concentrate on focus boom done focus boom done yeah. focus boom done you know in microseconds um, I mean the one on the five lens is is snappy sharp the R7 autofocus is mm-hmm. snappy sharp if you're not what I've what I've now started to find is you know if you're not twisting pulling constantly adjusting that focal length there's going to be times when you need to yes we get that but the more you can just have that solid locked on focal length the camera then doesn't have to do ten thousand things at the same time
1: yeah yep yep totally agree you can concentrate Absolutely, on being totally a camera rather
2: than a, like...
1: rather than confusing yeah. it like, if you like and yeah i mean i think it, it's an important thing to note, like people who are new to photography or sort of new to aviation photography or whatnot, and they're they're like constantly pulling, pushing on that zoom lens and trying to capture everything from the the second they see the, the plane to the second it disappears out of sight. And then they get their 600 shots of that one pass into Lightroom or whatever software they use to edit. And then they go, well, hang on, 475 of these are like, have gone straight in the bin because they're not sharp (laughs) they're not they're not in focus they're probably a little bit um we've cut the wing off on the one side or the nose off on the other side because i didn't change focal length quickly enough it's you you you. although they're amazing bits of kit you're asking far too much of it right and that's why i think like shooting with the primes just simplifies the lens
2: the lens and the camera can't can't keep up with our eye our eye Fair. Through genetics, through evolution, everything else it just can has got the snappiest autofocus of everything. You know, and you're asking yeah. uh, a a piece of electricity, you know, uh, an electrical component, uh, you know, whatever it is, a circuit board to try and match it, it gets very, very close. Of course, it does, mm-hmm. but um, yeah.
0: I mean, this is an interesting chat about lenses because I mean, I, I my main lenses are 200 500. Um, and I went from having a 150 to 600, uh, Tamron and I found the same as you. It's like, it's great having 600 mil, but at the end it's soft, yeah. you know, it's, uh, the 200 to 500 is, um, yeah. yes, it's a zoom lens, but it's f5.6 throughout. So it's sharp, you know, um, one the one things I've started doing is I've started buying, um, full frame lenses that are just a fixed aperture So my 120 the 24 to 120 is an f4 um and the um obviously the 205 is f5.6 i'm looking at potentially getting a um a 70 to 300 they've got a 7300 Mm -hmm. f4 um so i'm potentially thinking about getting that um i mean in terms of missing the range the only time i miss the range is at duxford because everything displays so far away now, um, and I did consider getting a 1.4 converter, but then when I sat there and thought about it, that makes my 200 lens is going to become what's effectively a 300 to uh, 300 to 750 or something, isn't it? 350, 750, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and I thought, you know, email in your, uh, your, your quick math, yeah. <laughs> your quick math yeah. Of yeah. answers. email in your quick math. Um, but I thought if I do that, then it's great. I'm going to get stuff further away. But anything that's close, it's it's hard enough getting in as is, you know. And it's it's like you said with with your sort of fixed um focal length is I shoot differently now. Um, I think my sort of sweet spot tends to be around the 400 mil mark. Um, which I think is I think I've actually I can actually lock my um lens at 400. Um, yeah so i probably might try to start doing that next year but um yeah it's the, the only frustration is that i lose a lot at the near end as i say it's 200 to 500 it's amazing how much you lose in that 50 mil that you have in a 150 to 600 or whatever yeah it's, there's a lot of um plane that can fit yeah, into that spot and you don't realize until you've got it um but again it's like you say you have to just learn to shoot differently um yeah it, it, the only things that i suffer from are my own skill issues it's not the gear um and if i get it if i nail it that is it's so sharp that it's just yeah. like you know even if i have to crop in it's not a problem because it's sharp
1: you know yeah i think i think you raise a really good point about uh because I, I i have obviously raised the point about different focal lengths and the camera going what's going on Um, But if you've got variable aperture as well between those focal lengths, where at different focal lengths, the camera's selecting the the lowest minimum aperture, it's another thing for the camera to think about. It's another variable that the camera's got to factor in between focusing, between sort of like making sure that the right settings are in place, between trying to get the right exposure and all that jazz. And I, I genuinely think that, the, the simpler you can make it for any camera system, even the top end light bodies, even though I've not used them, but I still believe it's true, um, will will yield you better results. Yeah. So whether it's picking a lens, picking a zoom lens with a constant aperture or picking a prime lens or picking um, using a single focal length for a pass um, during, dur- during your sequence of shots. Um, if you've got a zoom lens with a variable aperture, I, I think those are really good tips in this particular genre of photography for, for getting the sharpest mm. shots. Mm. The, the less work you can ask of you. I mean, because you think about any other type of photography that you do and think about how fast that you move that camera and that lens as, as yeah. aircraft come past you, as well as asking it to do all of that stuff that we've just discussed. I mean, portrait photography. Nine times out of ten, the subject is standing still, posing for a photo. And like you, tend a landscape... a,
0: you tend to have a fixed aperture for that, anyway, don't you? you yeah, tend yeah. To have like a wide uh, uh, lens, landscape.
1: Yeah, l- landscape photography. I don't see a landscape flying past you at like five hundred knots. Do you know what I mean? So no, I it, again, not you know, an issue. Like if it's
0: if it's if it's really windy.
1: Well, if... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you might you might have to deal with a bit of movement in your frame, but like, yeah, it's what I think. What I'm getting at is ah. Uh, Genre of photography that we enjoy the most, like the aviation side, it's 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 tricky. It's mm. it's asking a lot of you as a photographer to, to to factor in all of these things, and we're not even got into things like like autofocus settings and tracking yeah. modes and all of that jazz. Like we're just talking about the basics here of like what lens, what camera body, uh, and, and then it's asking a lot of the, it's asking a lot of the system as well mm. to to. to to get the if most you think added. about it,
2: when was the last time, like, and you're gonna spit your beer out and cringe in a minute? I watch Formula One. Um, and when was the last time you saw sort of like people at the edge of a circuit at either super bikes or touring cars, Le Mans, Formula One, or whatever? When was the last time you saw a, a photographer that's standing there with a telephoto lens? They don't. They have a prime lens, don't they? Because those 9. things 10. are shifting around at like 150, 200 miles an hour you know they don't want to be standing there going, eh, 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 you know twisty twisty pulley pulley
1: you know well i don't like formula 1 i can liken it to the maclu like so i like you you're in a fixed position and these things yeah. fly past you in a general a generally sort of uniform track as they come past you maybe a little bit higher a little bit lower but not like too too ridiculously out of out even of sync. on you know
2: even on football you know, you see people around the edge yeah. of the edge of the, you know, the pitch, they've all got a prime lens of some sort. And and those yeah. people, I call them people, um, are going left to right. They don't go, all right, they might jump for a header, but they don't go up to 200, 200, 2,000 <laughs> feet, whatever it is, unless it's going for Ronaldo, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, they go left to right, they go left to right, they go left to right, they put the, the ball mm. in the goal or they pick the ball out of the goal um depending on what your role is on that team, and the photographers around the the pitch have all got a prime lens because they don't want to be twisty pool, twisty pool, twisty pool do they?
0: yeah you know I think I think also you, you've got to choose your lens for your occasion, totally. you? and it's like i mean whenever someone someone asks on like the mac loop forums are like oh what lens should i get should i get like a, a six a 600 f2.8 or whatever that's 1500 quid 15 million quid or whatever and it's like well is that appropriate for going to the loop you know it's like i mean i'm just i'm just looking at my loop shots that we took this year and when we was at bulk that day they ranged from 200 to 300 yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's like you know sometimes you can get away with just like a I mean like ideally you probably want like a you could get away with three hundred mil fixed aperture, yeah. you
2: know, like a yeah. Well we saw the results of that the other day when that was up on spur. So <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's like, you yeah. know, it's 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 always, it's about having the right gear with you for the occasion. There's no point climbing um bulk um or any of the the, the hills with like a, a six hundred mil prime unless you want to see the pilot picking his nose which some people do i suppose but it's <laughs> you know it's it is with everything it's like you know you've got to pick the gear which is relevant yeah. to that occasion don't you and it's like De- yeah definitely and, and I, I think that, yeah go on i, I was just cuz i think i like just going a bit on top
1: of what what tim just said about me at the loop last week obviously i went to spur and I was lucky enough to get quite a few passes from from the F 35s but one of the things I was thinking going up there was that that was the first time I've been up there with that three hundred mil on the crop sensor, which is effectively the equivalent of four twenty mil. I'm thinking, mm. how far up this hill do I need yeah. to go? And I have conscious, consciously made the decision to go a little bit higher than what I would normally have done with the one fifty six hundred because I think I was thinking I know that. If they be, come past quite close to me, they're gonna really fill the frame, and I might not be able to get them all in, yeah uh, or I might be just trying to like chase the cockpit sort of thing as they come past me uh and a, as it turned out um for- like forgiven my own rusty sort of panning skills because I hadn't been up there for a couple of uh, a couple of months um it was it was all right like i i I picked a a decent spot to to get them all coming past in frame. Now, if an F-15 had come past, I might have been struggling. I might have had to go a little bit further up the hill, but these are the sort of things that you need to think about as a prime lens shooter. It's not a case of just standing in one position and thinking, well, I can zoom in and out. So it doesn't really matter. Um, Th- you, you, you ch- it's like a change in 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 sort of workflow in, in whilst you're in the field in your own mind. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, if something big comes around that corner, uh, as I'm looking at it, like an A four hundred or a Strix or something like that, I know I'm going to have to rock it up this hill really quickly to even get anywhere near the whole thing in frame. Or yeah. I make the decision that the shots I'm going to get with the whole aircraft in frame are the ones where it's approaching me and it starts to bank and I get the whole thing there. And then as it comes past me, i focus just on the cockpit and see what I can get in terms of close-up shots. And then as it moves away from me, I can then get the whole thing back in frame again as it sort of starts to bank around bulk and head towards CAD or or, or the opposite direction, depending on wherever it was going. And and, and it's those sort of thought processes that come into your mind um, when you've been shooting in a location for a long time, you've got experience of using multiple types of lenses and you know, the, the equipment that you're using. It's like, I know that I've, I've got a fixed aperture fixed focal length. So I'm going to have to do the work here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand in one position and then get shit photos and then complain about the facts afterwards. Yeah. I have to get my ass into to get, and I was running up and down that hill quite a lot during those passes. I mean, I think I have 15 passes of F 35s in about 40 minutes, which is crazy. Um, but I was like, I was thinking, right. I got that pass. That and I quickly scrolled through the photos. I got. I was like, oh well, that was almost out of frame. Like, it was almost like too too close for the frame. So, the next pass when they came round again, I ran up the hill a little bit and like, then I got a bit more sort of reach sort of thing. So I was moving away from them as they came past me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all it's 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 an interesting discussion because it's. I think, I think the thing that we're demonstrating here is it's not just about the gear as such. Like It's like, oh yeah, well I've got this lens, or I've got that camera or I've got this, I've got the other. And I think sometimes people in photography use that as a little bit of a status symbol. It's not about that. It's about no. picking the best tool for the job and it doesn't matter what lens you choose, you're always going to have to compromise mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm always have to compromise and whether that's you having running up and down the side of the hill continuously trying to get the the best framing for the passes that you're witnessing or whether that's you changing position at an air show, moving backwards or forwards closer to the crowd line or further away from it, whether that's you buying an extender because you know that you haven't got the reach at an air show like Duxford. These are all things that you need to consider and it makes you think harder and wiser as a photographer. In my opinion,
2: I mean, I had, um, yeah. had a couple of people message me last week um, asking me about the Sigma 150 600. Is it worth it? Yes, it absolutely is. It's such, Definitely. It's such a good lens, it's such an all rounder, and everything else. I said to both of them, you know, the only factor for me, for me, that I found on my lens, for me, was at 600, I just wasn't happy. You know, you may get, it may be that oh, I got the Friday afternoon three o'clock lens. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you may get that one that's sort of, you know, just everything is perfect on it and up to, you know, all through 600 is just perfect. Great. Brilliant. Well done. Go nail your shots. It's it's not about that reach. It's not about the lens. It's not about, it's. I think it's understanding the limits or it's understanding the, the parameters of what gear you've got and what you're asking it to do. And it's only in the last sort of like three, four months, that's really sunk in with me as well. You know, I'm I'm asking my camera to do this, 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 this. And I'm asking my lens to do this, 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 at the same time with each other. And I want it to be perfect. And, you know, you've got, you've got a Mitigate the amount that you're asking your gear to do. Therefore, it's on you to do better.
1: And, and this uh, and, and that is spot on. And that is exactly why, when you have a setup that you are happy with, you need to keep it for as long as possible to learn the best out of it. Now, people people will point to me like a few episodes back where I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm happy with the R," and then I went and got an R seven. Not long afterwards, <laughs> yeah. that that was. That was a choice for me to go back to a crop sensor because and a crop sensor with more megapixels, because I knew that using similar lenses on that crop sensor versus the full frame with more megapixels would give me more crop yeah. ability. That gives me more flexibility in post-processing. So that, that was a conscious decision for me. Plus the fact you could shoot a faster frame rate, et cetera, this, that, and the other had like uh, tracking modes and things. Great. All that stuff. But now I'm I'm happy with it. I'm settled with it, and I know that to get the best out of it, I need to use it for as long as possible. And that's why whenever people, I, I had someone in my DMs again, literally last night, saying, "Oh, I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, Dubai. I'm going to an airport to take photos. I'm going on a trip to various other places. It's a big trip. I've got a a, a bridge camera. I think it was a P1000 that they were talking about." And they were like, "Should I upgrade before I go, or should I just stick with what it's I've got, not, even no. though I know exactly, exactly?" And that's what I was trying to get across to this. Uh, I think it was a like young, young lad or, or kid, like whatever. Like, uh, and I was trying. I just "Look, if you go and upgrade your camera system before you go on this trip, you are going to be back at square one in the learning yeah. phase of that setup, yeah. and you are going to miss more shots." than you would with the setup you've known for however long you've had it for the last six, 12, 18, two years, whatever. So just take that with you. Learn as much as you can about the setup you've already got and analyze your results when you get back. See what worked, see what didn't work. And then once you've got to a point where you stop learning with that body and that lens or that system or that bridge camera, that's when you think, well, now I need to sort of level up. Now I need to sort of think, well, I've learned as much as I can here. Let's let's go and get a different body, a different lens and we'll start that process yeah. again and I'll take everything I've learned yeah. on this system and I will invest that knowledge into the new system. Take 6 to 12 months to get used to it and then start learning how it works. Well this I mean
0: this is interesting. For me I've been not not deliberately chopping and changing but I've been over the past few years I've been upgrading my kit. Because I realized where my bottlenecks were and I knew that I needed to sort of upgrade that. So, 2022, I brought the the 200 to 500, got used to using that. And then last year, I brought the D500 to go with it. So, I spent the season getting used to that. So, this year is going to be for me the first year that I'm settled with, that I'm happy that I know what the D500 is going to do. I know what the 200 to 500 is going to do. I don't know what they're going to do together. So, I can sit back and look at. A lot of the shots I took at rear are in that kind of the 400 mil sort of range. So for me, what I should probably do is I'll stick with my lens and only be between 400 and 500. You know, so that I'm not doing a full sweep of the lens. I could just do a little tweak. Um, and it's it's all about learning your gear. I mean, like we've said, we've said many times in this podcast that you could get a entry level um camera and a 70 to 300 and you could pull off better shots. Well, it's funny you say that because
2: on one of the, on one of the Facebook groups, um, a guy called Rob Yates, he put up some pictures in a kind of tongue and cheek. I think it was a sort of like, I don't know, a really early sort of like version of a, a Canon something count camera. And he was using a sort of like a fairly stock lens. And by God, his shots just looked like the same sort of shots as when he's using his, his full setup because he understands the gear that he's using. You know, he's got the knowledge yeah. to back it up. He understands what he's using. Um, you know, and it, it kind of made me chuckle. And, like, before we went to the loop um, last year, I looked back on the shots from the year before and I realised my, my focal range for where we were on CAD, East, bulk, Spur, wherever we were, my focal range wasn't really anything or the the, the shots that I used wasn't anything really between anything like 200 into the 500s. I certainly wasn't using shots at 150 and I wasn't using shots at 600, which kind of made me go, I've got wasted focal range there. And that was one of the, sort of like things that I said to myself with the, you know, when I was arming and and for so many months about the 100, 500, I kept looking back and I looked back at air shows and I looked back at Mac loop trips and I looked back at, even like when we go out with the dogs taking them for a walk and I take the camera, vocal range, you know, was never 600 because the shots were just dross. And um yeah, I, I'd say in the last sort of like seven or eight months I've tried to understand more what my camera is or what i'm asking my camera to do and like i say wednesday was a real sort of like apple from the tree moment where i locked the lens and just went right that's the focal lens i've got deal with it Mm. (laughs) literally just deal with it that's the focal lens we've got for the next 10-15 minutes just deal with it
1: yeah The good thing then the good thing then locking your focal range because yours is a variable aperture lens it doesn't it doesn't vary much but it is variable aperture is you lock in the aperture as well
2: and because on the, the on the 100 to 500 it's only when it gets to 500 mil it locks itself at 7.1 7.1 yes, 1, i think it, it is. locks itself yeah. at 7.1 so that's like it's it's just like nope, that's what you're getting before then you can the world's your oyster you can do whatever the hell you want it's At 500 mil yeah. it locks itself Seven point one. That's the that's the highest you're going, you know, or the lowest you're going, whatever you want. Yeah, that's the that's the lowest it's going to go. Um, yeah, and so yeah, that that sort of like moment where I locked it and I said, right, deal with this. You know, really challenge yourself and go. That's your focal length. Get on with it because this plane ain't stopping. It's 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 still coming towards you. So just you know, work fast, get it done. And I was you know pushing myself to do that i was happy with what i came away with to be honest i was like right, fine yeah. done um yeah so yeah that's i think that's lens is done
1: I, I, I think i think yeah i think the over the overarching message that we've got there from that discussion on on the gear that we're carrying, carrying is get to know yeah. it just you don't have to, to name know it. it just just no no, uh, you don't have to take it out for a point, although that might help. Um <laughs> just 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 know what it's capable of, know its know its maximum limits, know its minimum limits, know what no know, know exactly what you're expecting it to do and how it reacts in certain situations. And the only way you get that knowledge is by taking it out and using totally. it. And if like people who sit there like for like months on end and they haven't got the opportunity to get out, or they don't get out, or they're just lazy and they can't be bothered to go out, and then they think, oh well, I know what I'm, I, I fancy going the Mac loop. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll message someone on Instagram who goes all the time and just ask what settings they use. Doesn't work um, like that because your no, gear is completely different to mine. Yeah. Um, and whatever answer I give you is not gonna because the conditions will be completely different. It's not gonna work for you. You have to work in this hobby to generate the know-how of your own equipment in, in those situations and yep. no one, no one can sit there and teach you how it's no. going to work for your, your particular setup. Cause everyone's is going to be different. There's, there's like you say, there's almost like an infinite number of bodies out there, an infinite number of lenses out there, an infinite number of way of editing your, uh, editing, editing your, uh, your shots after taking them. Like anyone who sits there and says, well, this is how you do it for the best shot. is lying to you
0: basically yeah. absolutely lying to you yeah it's all about trying and making mistakes isn't it yeah it's like, trial and error if we were yeah. to sit i mean even nowadays we've been doing this I many, yeah <laughs> i mean we, we've been doing this for years right and yeah. i've been shooting at duxford for years and years and years and i can guarantee that when i look through back through my photos that i took today were things i tried that have absolutely failed so yeah. i know that next time that either that's a limitation of the lens and i have to think differently or it's a limitation of my own skill and i have to yeah. think differently and it's it's stuff it's just it yeah it's stuff like that it's no one's going to be able to i mean it's like when we go through this i mean we're going to tell you sort of what we're using in that and it's very much a guideline as to what yeah. we're using why we're using it you know and it's not we can't tell you definitively go buy this camera go buy this lens because i mean ignoring the fact what the lens does or what the camera does, it's like, you know, you might not yourself get on with a particular lens, particular body. The reason I shoot Nikon is because the first camera I tried was a Canon and a Nikon, both of the same sort of um, mid-range entry level. And uh, neither of of those two, the, the Nikon just felt better in my hand you know and it's like it, yeah. it, it, we might be able to say oh, yeah the R7 is the best camera it might be but it might not be for the person holding it you know it's it, yeah. there's so many variables no one is ever going to be able to say right if you buy this camera this lens you will be the best photographer because it just doesn't work like that it's not no no, no that's you know, it.
1: I, I think i think you're dead right and i think we between the three of us we've hit the nail on the head i mean at the end of the day i think i think like just just as a little bit of commentary on why people Uh, message like that like through through dms or like on on comments or whatnot uh, we live in a society where everything everyone's given everything on a plate and they don't have to work for it um and they think that if i message this person who's clearly gone and put the work in and got the information they'll give me the information that means it makes my life easier i only have to go there once and i'll come away with the same results it just doesn't work like that like photography if if you think if you're th- coming into photography any genre um but specifically aviation that that we like talking about uh, uh, and doing like if you're coming into this hobby and you think that by just asking someone else and not putting the work in yourself is going to get you the same results you might you go and pick a different hobby because this isn't yeah. for you it's yeah just it's not, not for it's, you.
0: It, it's not about the shot it's the journey and the experience yeah. of
1: getting it yeah isn't it? it really is like i i, I heard um it was a one of these, I don't know, inspirational quote type bullshit videos on YouTube the other day, but it was very true. Uh, somebody somebody was saying that um, happiness is based on a result, um, but joy is you, you get joy from the process of doing something, and I take a lot of enjoyment from the process of photography and learning and in improving and those incremental steps. Yeah, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm chuffed when I get a, get a great shot as a result of it, but it's not about the end result. If you come away with great shots, great. Share them, shout about them, put them on social media, print them out, put them on your wall, send them to newspapers, send them to magazines, do whatever you need to do,
0: like tell the world about them, but enjoy the process. Mm. It's like I mean, as Miley Cyrus says, it ain't about how fast I get there. It ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. And on that note, that's enough about lenses. So, outside of lenses, peripherals. What? What? I mean, batteries and SD cards are a given because you're not going to get far without those. Um, Is there anything else that you carry in your bag, um, whether it be small or big, that you think is important to the way you work? You say, you say SD
1: cards are a given. Just quickly, I think you need to understand what cards are, are the best for yourself. Because yes, you can you can true. go on Amazon. And you can you can just say, "Well, I need a, I need an SD card for my camera," and you yeah. pick the, the cheapest one that's on there, and it will be the slowest write speed that you've ever seen. It will be like the smallest gigabyte you've ever seen. You you need you realistically need the, the fastest write speed and the biggest capacity you can get for your money. Yeah, uh, 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 and like uh, because that's that's a, that's um that's going to make your camera's job easier as well.
0: They're the sort of things that they depend on what camera you're using, what the best you get out of it. I mean, I use um, UHS one cards on mine. Um, I know you can get UHS two, but my write speeds are about ninety five megabytes a second.
1: See that is... that to me is really slow. Yeah,
0: but you are because... running CF cards, aren't you? I think
1: no, no, no. Uh, the R seven takes SD cards. Um, but it's UHS two that I use. Yeah. I've got I've got uh, a 32 gigabyte one that's three hundred megabytes per second, and I've got a hundred and twenty-eight gigabyte one that is also three hundred megabytes per second. And when you when I mean the R7 can shoot up to fifteen frames a second, when you're shooting that fast, you, you need that right speed yeah. because Otherwise you you the camera's just gonna sit there and go, Well, you've put a shit card in me. What do you want me to do? Yeah. <laughs> I can't write any quicker than the card you left. Your camera's exactly. gonna go you've, you've, reached, gonna,
2: well, you've reached buffer. Yeah. <laughs> Please leave your name and number yeah. after the
1: <laughs> I can't do any more. Give me better cards.
0: I mean I, I <laughs> went I went through a, a, a phase where I tried to look at getting um sort of looking at different forms of SD cards I'm not it's different brand of SD cards um, and yeah. I brought some Kingston ones and for 99% of the time they're actually really good but the they are they've got a write speed of 80 megabytes a second which just it just on a d7200 buffer just don't even bother it was just like it was one of those yeah. so slow I mean it, yeah. uh, one that, that is one thing I guess with, with SD cards is if you've got a, a a camera which shoots at like five frames per second six frames a second if you pair it with a good card, you might be able to squeeze a slightly longer buffer and potentially an extra frame, depending yeah. on how your camera's set up. You might be able to sort of squeeze a little bit out, but there's a lot, there's a lot more research that goes into that that we can probably cover on a podcast. Well,
1: I'll, I'll, I'll give an example on the R7 just quickly before we move on to other peripherals. But um, if I'm using a uhs one card, 64 gigabyte uh, with 170 megabytes uh, write speed, then my buffer at 15 frames per second will be approximately 45 frames, which is about three seconds of shooting. Yeah. Um, If I then take that card out and chuck in a 300 megabyte UHS-2 one, um, I can get 87 shots Mm. at 15 frames a second, which then pretty much doubles the amount of shooting time that I've got before it hits the buffer. That's just a general example. Like So as much as people... Sort of just think. Oh well, I've got I've got a decent SD card because it's a because it's a Lexar because it's a Kingston mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it's a a, a whatever brand a Sandisk. Uh, Mm. It's about that. It's about the the numbers on on the front of it. And if you if you get the right one for your body, which is going to be different for every brand, then you're making your camera show. Generally, I use
2: the um, Sandisk Extreme Pro, one twenty eight gigabyte cards with a two hundred meg. Uh, right speed, I've got two of the 300 yep. meg right speed ones, and I am yet to hit the buffer on the 300s. Like, mm. it, for, for me, those 300s are just sort of like, <laughs> wow.
1: yeah, like a cheat code. yeah, yeah, they are like a cheat code. If anyone's seen any of my reels on Instagram, and you hear that shutter start and not stop before the end of the video, yeah, exactly. 300 megabyte card there, yeah, doing its job.
2: Um, Going back to what else is in our bags, um, like what I found last year, especially around Legan Heath and Milton Hall, it was so dusty. So dusty. Because we had a dry summer, it was so dusty, and like my lens was just even with the lens cap on, it was just getting dusty. You know, you're just like, what the hell is going on? Um, so I off Amazon, I just bought a pack of K and F concept um Cleaning cloths and they come like vat pack sealed. packed, sealed, yeah. um, and they're the they're the thickness of like two sheets of paper. When they're like that, um, they take up no space and no weight in your bag, and they're just ah oh, just a nice little yeah. like when your lens is a little bit mucky or whatever, you can just reach in, grab one of them, take it out of the packet, wipe everything down. Even if it's raining, it doubles up as a good sort of like True. absorbs. Gets yeah. all the moisture yeah. off the lens um yeah but for me totally agree mate They're the and it wasn't a lot of like it wasn't a massive investment i think there was a packet of 10 of them or something um but to just have a, a cleaning cloth even a drying cloth just in the bag that takes up no room and no space i was just sort of like yeah. there we
1: go that'll do I think I think in terms of like I agree with that one, but I, I would also add a, a lint-free microfiber, yeah, like yeah. cloth, yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah, to, yeah, just to give you, you your lens a quick wipe over, um, and and then and then crack on. Uh, I think they're invaluable. I think you, if you don't have one of them in your bag, when you can get a roll of them look. for sort of
2: like two, three quid off of Super can't yeah, you can get, and yeah, they, they weigh pick nothing, like, yeah. If you've got a couple of elastic bands yeah. in there, they like weigh nothing, you can strap them Checking around your, your lens. I mean, I've seen you do it. You, you, I think we were at Lakenheath. You had a, a microfiber cloth over your one 600 with a couple of elastic bands, and yeah. you were like, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. going to soak up the moisture and the lens ain't going <laughs> to
1: get it. So I was like, genius.
2: That's it. It's an extra, extra um,
1: layer of protection, and it did the job. What about, what about you, Rob? What, what, what obscure peripheral... Uh, periphery type thing have you got
0: so i've got lens wipes and uh microfiber cloth um i've also got my radio which is the unidem bearcat 125 which i use for bases and air shows and loop and whatever i have also got uh rain covers so they go on the the lens oh that's yeah that's
2: that's been my purchase since that Friday last year when it was very wet. um, Yeah. Yep. Standing in the enclosure, I was like, right, straight away, ordering one.
0: <laughs> Just, but the the one thing which I've got, which everybody keeps asking me about what it is, is my L bracket. I was looking at that my, the um, other day. And it's, well, it's, it, it, it has two purposes. I mean, the main, the real purpose of it is that when you are shooting a landscape and you've got your tripod has been planted, you've got it leveled what you don't want to have to do is faff around with like i've got my picture i am take a picture landscape and if uh, and if i then want to take a portrait i've got to undo the head and whop it over so it's a portrait and it's never going to be as level as it was before with an l bracket all you do is you clamp your lens you clamp camera in at, um, on the top of the tripod then if you want to go portrait you unscrew it Flip it round and you clamp it in again, and you haven't had to move your mm-hmm, tripod. Mm-hmm, you? mm-hmm. And this, I use it mostly for landscape, but it, it's just as useful around a museum or uh, walking around the static. And the other thing is, depending if you set it, offset it, you can use it as a handle, yeah, as well. So, like if you are if you did want to film with your camera, you've got an extra well, hard to hold on to to film. So it's a, I mean, this one is a, I think it's a three legged thing. I think it cost me um, forty quid but it just it's ideal and it it creates a, an additional hooking point for straps and um, you can hang things from it you can clamp other things to it like I can clamp if I want to a um, microphone to the side there it's like you just yeah, you got an extra screw hole there so I can screw things in it's just like it's a really handy bit of kit which is really designed for landscape photographers but it works just as well for aviation photography I found it's a great little bit of kit
1: I used to I used to have an old bracket as well for my old body. Uh, when I used to have the Canon M50, and I used to swear by it for for exactly the same
0: reasons. And I've also got this little tool which I paid six quid for, and on it it's got like a a flathead screwdriver and the Allen key that is on every um, strap hook or tripod or anything. This tiny little thing and I can just clip it to my keys, and I've got one in every bag, and it's just it's just basically a multi-tool that's designed for tripods and um anything related to cameras that have got that same allen key fitting it's just that's yeah. an ideal little thing it's
1: yeah. a great little thing definitely definitely especially when you're like attaching um like arca swiss plates or yeah. l brackets or exactly whatever that. you yeah. know what i mean um a couple of things i want to mention on my camera uh, i've got currently in my hand that you won't be able to see because this is a podcast, but there we go. Um, I've got a um, a little extender at the bottom of my R7, uh, which if anyone's ever held the R7, <sighs> um, it is a little bit difficult to keep your pinky, pinky finger, your little finger uh, on the body as you as you sort of grip it. Now, Canon grips are famous for being quite ergonomic and, comfortable to hold on to <laughs> which actually tim's demonstrating in his with his r7 that hasn't got the Just, grip attached as, it off as, a as to i haven't put as it back it.
2: on and <laughs> now that you've said that i've realized what's missing
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so so it's all it is um it's actually by a company called uh C- custom battery grips which we uh i found well actually tim found through we found. uh instagram we found yeah we found through instagram and all it is is like a three D printed, basically like extender piece that attaches to the uh, the mount at the bottom of your camera, your uh, tripod mount, and it sort of it is because it's three D printed, it forms almost like a perfect seal around the base of the R seven, and they do with the cameras as well. Um, and you, there's like a, a like a a twisty sort of uh, screw type attachment to it so you can like tighten it up so it tightens against the uh against that mount there's a little door that opens up so you can get into your battery compartment as well um and it just gives somewhere just just so that you feel like you're holding a full frame camera rather than a crop sensor camera and it just Mm -hmm. gives you that solidity that you need when you especially when you're shooting aviation photographers places like the looper and air show you've got that sort of that further support there, rather, rather than your, your your pinky finger just sort of floating around in thin air like you're drinking a posh cup of tea or something. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But, yeah, if you look up custom battery grips on um, Instagram, I think the actual tag of the, the company is digital underscore millow, and he does, he does actual battery grips as well where he can put battery grips onto cameras. He does... Can, mostly Canon by the looks of it, but I'm pretty sure he does other stuff as well. But he's an independent guy, um, based in Europe, mainland Europe, and uh, yeah, you pay the guy through uh, PayPal and he'll send them through, and yeah, they come through and they're, they're good quality, sturdy and, as well. I, isn't I, they? I really like it. And so, yeah, yeah, sturdy. You're I mean, definitely we've had these no issues for what, with it a year. Yeah, well over a year. Well, getting them for well over a year now. Yeah, and I mean today, like you say, you took yours off, Tim. I have got mine still on the camera, but I've attached like the sort of little Arca Swiss plate underneath yeah. it to the actual uh, the screw mechanism, which has also got a a recessed um, screw thread thread for, for you to, to to screw that into. So I've also so I've got those, and also attached to my camera, I've also got um, pink the peak design little red and black yeah. tassels. Well, I can attach my Peak Design strap to it, uh, which again is invaluable. Yeah, I will just, I will uh, I will say there.
2: a huge shout out to Peak Design for that that strap yeah. design with the yeah. with the tab things and everything else. At first I was a little dubious, you know, these two little things are gonna hold my camera and lens, you know, the substantial financial cost involved, and it's just these two little tabs holding it. I, yeah. I'm not even not even like anxious about it anymore. You know, I, can, no, no. I, would yeah. I wouldn't exactly like skip down the street with it like that. But, you know, I have a lot more faith in it after a year now. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. If any, any, I've got one of their chest plates as well.
2: That you yeah, chest plates yeah. is your, a is a yeah. big step for me. Chest plates and those shoulder strap type yeah. things where you slot it in. I'm like, mm, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, interestingly, I mean, it, I didn't mention my battery grips because I've got battery grips for both my D500 and D7200. And it is just a very typical um, battery grip um, where you add an extra battery for extra power, longevity and that. Um, but it also means you can rotate the camera around into portrait mode and you've still got a button in the same natural position and the same controls, um, which is really useful. I find that they're good when you've got a bigger camera with a big lens on it. I just find it helps balance out the weight, or just gives you more. You feel like you've got more grip on the body with yeah. a heavier lens, and it's yeah. um, they're really valuable to have.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I bought my um, extender grip when I still had the one fifty six hundred, so I did feel that balance was an issue. Mm. Um, less so now. I've only got the three hundred mm f four um because it's it's nowhere near as considerably big as lighter, as the yeah considerably lighter yeah. considerably shorter um but it's still good to have that support there especially when if you're panning really quickly with an aircraft or um yeah. following it well, through its routine in the sky at an air show yeah it's 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 a good thing to have
0: yeah well excellent i mean i think we've covered quite a lot of um and there's a lot for everyone to think about and have a look through your bag. Why don't you – and also, you know, come on to uh, our Facebook and tell us what you've got in your bag because I'm sure you guys have got some stuff that we'll look at it and go, huh, ah, yeah, why have exactly. we not got
1: that? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think a good idea would be to like – we'll start a thread in our Facebook group um, when this podcast is released um, for people to discuss what's in their bag. Yeah. Um and if you're not part of the facebook group come and join we don't charge any money we don't ask for any we don't, we don't do digital begging on patreon or anything like that we just it yeah. was just trying to create a, a, like a community where people can come and share ideas share shots share theory whatever um so yeah come and share what's in your bag and and put it list it in in, in that thread and we'll put it up when this uh, when this podcast Absolutely is released
0: yeah. and that's a good time to wrap up then so um guys where can we find you on the gram and social media? And we'll go with you first.
1: Yes. uh, Instagram is Anthony underscore Fogarty underscore aviation. Uh, It's just my name or that same tag on Facebook.
0: Tim, where can we find you?
2: Uh, You can find me on Instagram as r 2
0: And you can find me at RS7 Aviation. And of course you can find the group at AvGeeksAssemble. And obviously the Facebook is the same at AvGeeksAssemble. As we mentioned in the last podcast, the podcast does have its own Instagram account, which is at the AvGeeks podcast. So head on over there, give it a like. We'll be releasing clips and anything on there that we find interesting and podcast related. So do give us a follow and get involved. So it's now time to bring this to a close. Hopefully you found some interesting stuff in there and hopefully there's some little ideas about how to treat your photography. I know we talked about a few different elements and tips as well as just our stuff, but we will be opening up a post that goes with this podcast. So please jump into that let us know what you've got in your bag for 2024. And if you've got any little extra tools and, or gadgets that you're carrying around with you, let us know. I'm sure people would love to hear what you've got to say. So please head on over to the Facebook, join in the banter, and all that's left to be said is see you next time, and hopefully we'll see you at the fence. Thank you for listening to this episode of the App Geeks Assemble podcast. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at App Geeks Assemble.